as we read together Genesis chapter number 43 and verse 1. This, this is the story of Joseph's brothers, and they are standing before their father, Jacob, waiting to go back to Egypt to get more grain and to get more food after the famine has hit the land. And the Bible says that the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us. He's talking about Joseph. He said, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, We will not go down. For the man said unto us, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. And this evening, for just a little while, I want to preach to you on this subject. Bringing back Benjamin. Bringing back Benjamin. Let's put our Bibles down and pray over the remainder of our service together. God, we are so thankful that you brought us into your house this evening. And already, God, I believe that you're working on minds and hearts that have come into this place that need a touch from your word, God. I still think it has the power to change lives. I believe it has the power to alter our circumstances, God. And I pray that every hungry heart that came in to this house this evening would be filled to the uttermost, God. That we would take the word that we hear in this place out into a lost and dying world to be effective in your kingdom. And we'll give you all the glory and all the honor for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Give a great big hand clap to the Lord before you're seated. I, I know in the six years that I've been here, it's, it's no secret to anybody who has uh, been a member of this church for any amount of time that there have been uh, promises, there have been prophecies spoken over this church about revivals of backsliders and about revivals of the lost that were going to come to this church. There have been uh, words that have been spoken to this church over your, lost love lo- uh, over your lost loved ones, over my lost loved ones, over family, over friends, uh, over the city of Anderson. We know that there have been words of encouragement. There have been words of prophecy. There have been words that uh, we have not yet seen fulfilled. And uh, this week, as I began to read and I began to study This passage of scripture, what was on my mind uh, more than anything was those prophecies, those promises, those words that have been spoken to this church. And I believe that we have to look after our own house. So don't take me wrong. I believe that we uh, have to attend well to the things of God, that we have got to be good stewards of the house of God. And we have got to be faithful and focused in what is happening within the house of God. But there is also a call to the people of God that comes to us uh, through uh, the New Testament. And that is that even though we are indeed called to uh, be holy and we are called to uh, live in blessing and favor, and we know that signs and wonders follow us and we're called uh, to come together and to worship and to praise and, and we're called to learn and we're called to grow. We are also called to be a light to this dark world. We are called to reach the lost. 
I got reading this week and the story of Joseph many of you are familiar with. Joseph is the brother that's despised. Joseph is the dreamer. He's the brother that uh, the rest of Jacob's children look at and say, who do you think you are? And so they cast him into a pit and they, uh, they are responsible for him eventually being thrown into prison. And in prison, he's forgotten. And finally, Joseph gets to a point in his life where he is now uh, the king in Egypt. He's second in command only to the Pharaoh. And it's at this moment in Joseph's life when the Bible says that there is a famine that comes over the land. And it was Joseph that God used uh, to uh, speak to Pharaoh and say, this is how you're going to make it through the famine. There's going to be seven years of plenty and there's going to be seven years of famine. And uh, this is how you're going to survive. And during this window of time in Joseph's life, when he is now the king of Egypt, he is the one that everybody's looking to uh, for advice and for counsel and for leadership and for guidance that Joseph's brothers make an appearance uh, in the story after more than 15 years. In Genesis chapter number 42 and verse 29, the Bible tells us that it was Joseph's brothers that come uh, to Jacob, their father, unto the land of Canaan, and they told them uh, all that befell unto them, saying, uh, we went into the land of Egypt. We went uh, to go looking for corn. We went looking for food. We, uh, we knew that that was the place we had to go. And when we got to Egypt, there was, there was a man there, the ruler of Egypt, who was responsible for dis- uh, distributing the corn, and he's, he's responsible for distributing provision. He's responsible for distributing uh, the, the wealth of the kingdom and the food that's in the kingdom. And so we went to him and we said that we need food and we need provision and we need help and we need, uh, we need uh, if, if you don't reach out a hand to us and, and help us, we're going to die. And so that man, that king looked at us and he said, I will give you the provision that you need, but there is a condition on my provision. The Bible says that when they came to Jacob, their father, they said in verse 30, the man who is Lord of the land, he spake roughly to us. He took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, we are true men. We are not spies. We be 12 brethren, sons of our father, and one is not. The youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man... The Lord of the country said unto us, Hereby shall I know that you are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me and take food for the famine to your household and be gone. And bring your youngest brother unto me. Then shall I know that you are not spies, but that you are true men. So will I deliver you your brother and you shall traffic in the land. In other words, what Joseph is saying, and we know his motive. We know the motivation. Joseph's testing them. He's, he's trying to figure out uh, if they've really changed. But I, I find it not ironic that the litmus test that Joseph chose was, uh, was this, uh, this device that he had concocted of, of, of I'm, going to, I'm going to withhold one of the brothers. I'm going to send them back for Benjamin because we know Benjamin was the youngest. And, and Joseph, he was the youngest when he was despised. And so he wants to know if they've changed. And so he says, I will give you corn for your famine and I'll give you provision, but I need you to understand something. Don't come back into the presence of the king without your brother. He says, I'm going to take care of you for now. But there's some conditions on this provision. There's some conditions on my care. 
And that is if you're going to come back into my presence, don't come back without your brother. When they left, Joseph provided them all that they needed. And I have to wonder to myself, I got thinking about this this week. Imagine that you're one of Joseph's brothers. Imagine that you're Reuben. Imagine that you're, you're Simeon, you're Levi. And this king has made a really strange request. He doesn't know you. He, has, he, he doesn't know anything about you. He's supposed to be the king in Egypt. Why would he care about this lowly family, this, this Hebrew family from the land of Canaan that, that is just as 12 brothers and, 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 an elderly, uh, and an elderly man? Why would he care so much? And I, I have to think they wondered to themselves, what interest could the king possibly have in our brother? And why does he care about whether or not our brother is here? But something you've got to understand is what they didn't know, is that while they were wondering, well, why does he care so much about our family? Why does he care so much about whether or not my brother is here? Joseph was standing back and saying in his heart, because that's my brother too. You think they're just your family, but they're my family too. You think... You think you're the only one who cares about their soul. And the king of the land is standing back and saying, but I care about their soul too. And then I got thinking about the church. And we can convince ourselves that we're the only ones who care about the lost in our family. And we can convince ourselves that it's our problem. And we can convince ourselves that, uh, you know, it's my issue to deal with. And, you know, it's my brother. It's my family. It's my business. And all the while, the Lord of the land is standing back and saying, no, it is not just your family. And it's not just your business. Because I'm their father, too. I called them for a purpose, too. I chose them for my kingdom, too. And you might think, well, they're just my family. It's my problem. And God's saying, no, they're not just your problem. They're my problem. I love their soul just like I love your soul. Don't come back into my presence without your brother because your brother is mine too. So Joseph, he puts this test to them and he says, I want to know if they've really changed. I want to know if they, the Bible says, I want to know if they're true men. If you be true men, don't come back into my presence without your brother. So he puts the test to them. Jesus, we read in the New Testament, Jesus says in a very similar phrase, he says, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you preach better than everybody. He said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you sing better songs than every other church in the street, in in the town, in your city, in your state. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Because uh, you have the nicest building uh, in the county. No. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. In other words, Jesus was saying, if you are who you say that you really are, you won't come back into my presence without your brother. Because men are only going to know that you're mine by how you treat them. Men are only going to know that you're mine by whether or not you love them. Don't say that you love the God you haven't seen if you hate your brother who you have seen. If you really are who you say you are. If you're the children of Israel. If you really are the sons of Jacob, then you won't come back into my presence without your brother and there's some things that can happen if we're not careful if we forget our assignment genesis chapter number 42 and verse 19 the bible says if you be true men let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison go ye carry corn for the famines 
of our houses. But bring your youngest brother unto me, so shall your words be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. And he turned himself about from them and wept. And he returned to them again and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. And so the question, what would have happened if the sons of Jacob would have failed to bring Benjamin back? What was going to happen if they decided the cost was too high and I'm not bringing my brother back into this place? Can I tell you that if the brothers had decided that it wasn't worth the price, we're going to go back home, we're going to eat our corn, we're going to drink our wine, we'll have our provision, we'll have our favor, we'll, we'll, it'll be our four and no more, we'll go home, Simeon would have died. And here's the principle. There is always collateral damage when the, when the children of God forget their assignment. There is always collateral damage when the church fails to do what it's supposed to. We become insular. We start to cause infighting, and pretty soon, it's not, the, it's not the world. It's not the spirits of this age. It's not wickedness that's suffering. It's our brothers and our sisters that start suffering. We, get, we start to infight, and we start to say, Simeon can die. I, I, I don't care so much about Simeon. As long as, as long as I can have my provision, as long as I can have uh, my favor, as long as I can have the things from God that I need, then it doesn't so much matter to me what happens to my brother and all the while Jesus is saying you're going to wake up one day and find that uh, you're going to wake up one day and find that while you the whole time you thought you were walking as my disciple the whole time you were walking around and telling people well I'm a child of the king I'm I'm blood bought I was washed in his name I've been filled with his spirit and he's going to say depart from me you worker of iniquity I never knew you why because you had not love for the brethren and so we can tell ourselves we can tell ourselves, well, good, I'm clear. I know I love my brother and my sister. Because I look around this room, and I love everybody that's here. But there's a problem. I got reading this week the story of Paul's conversion when he's Saul. The Bible says that Saul was the, the great persecutor of Christians. He had, had no love for the church. He had no desire uh, to be a Christian himself. And we know that he was there at the stoning of Stephen. We know that he, uh, he, he, he was one that the Bible says that he would, he would uh, uh, appear into people's homes suddenly to arrest them. He was a terrifying figure for the Christians. And Saul is on his way. He's on the road to Damascus and he's blinded. And we know that the Lord speaks to him. But Saul isn't the only person that the Lord spoke to in that story. Because there was a man named Ananias that in another city far away... God began to speak to him and say, Ananias, there's a man that I need you to go and minister to. And Ananias says, okay, who's the man? I'm, I'm ready. It's got to be Peter. It's got to be John. It's got to be James. One of the apostles, surely, they want me. They, they're, they're ready for my ministry. And he says, no, it's not one of them. It's, uh, it's Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias, I can imagine the lump in his throat, Saul of Tarsus. There's got to be a mistake. Because Saul kills the Christians. Saul's the persecutor of the Christians. Saul is a hater of everything that I stand for. Surely you don't want me to minister to him. And the Holy Ghost speaks and tells him to go. And so he's spirit-led and so he goes. But I find it interesting that when Ananias arrives at Saul's door, Saul is blind. And the very first thing that Ananias says when he encounters Saul, he walks to the door, hater of Christians, unconverted, Confused, 
trying to figure out what his next, step, his next steps are. And Ananias walks in the room and he says, Brother Saul. And then all of a sudden my excuses begin to wash away on why I can't pick up the phone and call that lost loved one that I know needs to hear from God and that I know needs a touch from heaven. And all of a sudden our excuses begin to wash away when we realize your brother and your sister is not the person sitting on the pew next to you. Not only anyway. Your brother and your sister is the lost loved one that's still walking around uh, in the streets of Anderson. It's, it's the person that's sitting in their home right now uh, that needs to be in the house of God and is not in the house of God. Your, your brother and your sister in Christ is everybody and anybody who has been made in the image of God. And so if they've been made in his image, you've got a responsibility to get them into to the presence of the king and if you are who you say you are you won't show up in his presence without your brother you won't find it acceptable to say well i'll just go and leave benjamin behind no i can't leave benjamin behind he's my brother he's got to get in the presence of the king too so so we know that they go and they get benjamin this is where our opening text comes in they get they go and judah gets benjamin he knows His father wants him to go back to Egypt to find more provision. And Judah says, well, here's the thing. He gave us provision once already. But he told us we can't go back into his presence and keep asking for provision if we won't do what he asked us to do. We've already been blessed. He's already fed us. He's already given us sufficiency. In fact, the Bible says that he didn't even take their money. He says, he's already given us all the blessing and the provision and the favor that we can ask for. We can't go back and keep asking for blessing and provision and favor if we're going to ignore his commands. So he says, I've got to bring Benjamin. So Judah grabs Benjamin. And I got to thinking, you know, when they arrive in Egypt, you know, the test isn't over yet. It's really just starting. Joseph, he wants to see his brothers be true men and so he gets Benjamin and he starts to treat Benjamin a lot how his father used to treat him he gives him the most riches gives him uh, the double portion at the table when it comes time to sit down at the dinner uh, he, the Bible says that Joseph had the wherewithal to put them in age order but Benjamin sits right next to him and so he starts to show him A lot of favor. And I got to wondering, you know, what was Joseph trying to discover? What was he really trying to prove? And we know that Joseph was testing his brothers to see how they would react when their youngest brother received special treatment. And here's the principle. I believe that sometimes, and I'm just speaking for myself, but sometimes the reason we fail to bring our brother, our sister. Sometimes the reason we fail to pick up the phone. Sometimes the reason we fail to schedule that Bible study. Sometimes the reason we fail to reach out is because we don't really want to see our brother blessed in the presence of the king. We know how the king is going to treat him. We know the grace they're going to find when they walk through those doors. 
We know that they're going to cry tears. We know that they're going to come back to the altar. And we know that somebody's going to help pray them through. And, and we know that, uh, that it's going to be like uh, people are going to treat them and talk to them and act like, well, nothing ever happened. You know, we get the prodigal's brother syndrome. That we say, well, I'm glad that he's home. But, man, he really deserves what happened, didn't he? Don't they deserve what's coming to them? And the answer is, yes, they do. But so did you. And... <laughs> Remember, remember, saint of God, Paul said it, as such were some of you. And when we get the prodigal brother syndrome, we are nothing but a hypocrite because there was a day when we were the brother that had to walk back through those doors with our head down a little bit and say, I know that I've messed up. I know that I I walked away. I know that I did some things that I shouldn't have done. But thanks be to God, there was somebody waiting at the door to say, you're my brother too. I haven't given up on you yet. You're you're, you're still that. You're you're still that that loved one. You're You're still valuable in the kingdom. You still mean something to me. Thanks be to God for his mercies. And so we get this prodigal brother syndrome. And sometimes, sometimes maybe it's not even that. Because the truth is, when it's our brother and it's our sister, we always want people to be kind to them. We always want people to treat them well. We always want, oh, take them by the hand. And, hey, will you go pray with them? And hey, hey, will you go talk to them? And hey, will you, will, you, will you call them this week? And hey, would you mind scheduling some time so we get together and hang out with them? We want it when it's our brother and our sister. But when it's somebody who's really done us wrong, when it's somebody who's really hurt us, we, if we're not really careful, we'll start to rejoice in their suffering. And the book of Proverbs tells us, Proverbs chapter number, excuse me, Proverbs chapter number 24 In verse 17, Proverbs 24 and 17 says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbles. You see, there are times when we know that that one person, the one person, you know, we pray for backsliders. God, give us a revival of backsliders. Give us a revival of the lost. And then the one person who's going to walk through the door is the one person we don't think we can pray with. It's going to be the one, oh, if it was anybody but them. And we start to conjure up memories of how they hurt us. And we start, to, we start to conjure up all the thoughts of how much they despised us or how much they wronged us. And we'll start rejoicing against our enemy when they've fallen. And all the while, God's sitting back and saying, don't rejoice against your enemy when he stumbles. Because there was a day when you were stumbling too. And I reached down my hand and I picked you back up. And now I need you to take your brother by the hand and lead them back into my house so that they can be restored too. We can convince ourselves, we can convince ourselves that we're justified. The truth is is that Joseph knew his brothers, but they did not know him. There's a powerful principle here you've got to get. Joseph knew his brothers, but they didn't know him. And Joseph is standing back, you know, because he remembered when my father gave me the, the coat they hated me for. When I shared my dreams, they hated me. And when I was 17 years old, they threw me in a pit. I was thrown into a prison. And Joseph, you know, Joseph's a lesson in not just humility, but in endurance for a lot of us. Because Joseph not only did nothing wrong, not only, is, not only did Joseph not do anything wrong, not only is he... Uh, Innocent throughout, his, throughout the story that we read. 
The Bible says that Joseph dreamed dreams when he was 17 years old. And 20 years later, they still haven't come to pass. Nearly 20 years go by. And he's interpreting dreams for other people. You know, he, he's, he's sitting in prison with the butler and the baker. And they say, hey, what do our dreams mean? And Joseph, you know, he, that's, that's the exact opportunity to get righteous indignation and say, well, my dreams didn't come to pass. That the, what I wanted to happen didn't happen, so why should it happen for them? <laughs> and we get the same attitude with the backslider sometimes when we're not careful. Is that we see them come back to God and we've been praying, oh God, give us a revival. Oh God, restore them. Oh God, bring them back into the house. And then when God starts to do exactly what we were praying he would do, we get bitter in our hearts and say, well, hang on just a second. Why wasn't it me? Why are they getting blessed? Why are they getting all the favor? Why are they getting all the special treatment? Why are they getting all the attention? Hey, that's a Jacob's, that, that's, a, that's a Joseph's brother. That's a sons of Jacob mentality. Why is he getting all the special treatment? Why is he getting all the favor? Why is he getting all the blessing? And the truth of the matter is that Joseph never really intended to leave his brothers hanging for very long. Joseph had a plan in mind to take care of his brothers. But before he could do that, he had to see if they had really changed. And so you look at the story of Joseph being thrown into uh, the prison. You see the story of Joseph being uh, a slave in Potiphar's house. And we know that of all of Joseph's brethren, it was Judah that was the mastermind behind his demise. Judah is the one that decides to sell him to the Ishmaelites. Judah is the one that decides uh, this is the lie that we're going to tell and this is how everything is going to go down. And it's Judah that the Bible tells us that Joseph now, he's, he's tested his brothers once. The test was, will they really bring their brother to me? Are they going to bring Benjamin to me? That's the first half of the test. They pass. But then Joseph tries something else, and this is really where the rubber meets the road, and this is really where I want to get to in this message, is that after the brothers have eaten and after they've been, uh, they've been restored and that they're back in the good graces of the king, the Bible says that Joseph devises a plot to make it look like Benjamin is, is guilty. And he decides that he's going to tell the brothers that they can go. You can leave. But Benjamin's staying with me. You're free to go, but Benjamin's mine. At first, when Judah insisted that Benjamin accompany the brothers to Egypt, it was an act of self-preservation. The first time that Judah, the first time that Judah tells his father that we've got to take Benjamin with us to Egypt, it's an act of self-preservation. It's where if we don't take him, we're not going to have food. We're not going to have provision. We need this. He's concerned about his home. He's concerned about the well-being of his family. He's, he's looking out to take care of things. But then something happens when Joseph tells the brothers, okay, now you can go back. But Benjamin stays with me. And Judah speaks up. In Genesis chapter number 44 and verse 33. The Bible says that Judah spoke up and said, Now therefore I pray thee, 
Let thy servant abide instead of the lad of a bondman to the Lord. And let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father? For how shall I go up to my father and the lad be not with me? Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. Listen to me. At the beginning of the story, Judah is concerned by what will happen to himself and to his brothers and to his home if they don't take Benjamin to see the king. But by the end of the story, Judah is moved not by what it will do to him. But what is my father going to think? What is my father going to think if I show back up without my brother? This is, it's not going to get any deeper than this, so just stay with me. What is my father going to think if I get to the end of my road and I've made it out of Egypt? I survived Egypt. I made it. I'm here. And Jacob's standing. He's standing on a precipice looking out, counting his sons. He says, I see Dan. There's, I see Jude. I see Simeon. I see Levi. Where's Benjamin? We can get this mentality that as long as I make it out of Egypt, as long as I make it home, as long as my soul is saved, as long as I'm delivered, then my father will be happy. But Judah had the understanding it breaks my father's heart when I come back into the house of God, when I come back into the presence of God, when I come back into the house of my father and my brother's not with me. What breaks the father's heart more than anything is when we show up without our brother in his house. He's not just interested in whether or not we can get the mentality to say, okay, I, I can make it on my own. I can do this by myself. We were never made to do this by ourselves. You were never made to make it to heaven by yourself. You were never supposed to be a solo saint. God has made his body to be together. And we have got to get the mentality, I'm not going back to my father's house without my brother. You might make it out of Egypt. Listen, you, maybe you make it. Maybe you survive Egypt. Maybe you make it all the way home. But it's all the while that we think, okay, he's, he's going to be happy. You know, I, I, I did everything that was commanded of me. You know, Jesus said, when thou hast done all that is commanded of you, say then, I'm an unprofitable servant. Because this was never supposed to just be about me. This was never just supposed to be about what can I do. This was never just supposed to be about can I make it. Maybe you can make it, but you are never supposed to make it by yourself. And God has put it in the hearts of the people in this church to go back to their brother and say, come on with me. We're not leaving Egypt alone. If you don't come with us, we're not going. I'm not going back to my father without my brother. I refuse, I refuse, I refuse to believe that my father wants me to leave my brother in Egypt. He does not. I want you to leave your brother in Egypt. Egypt, it's a type of the world. It's slavery. It's sin. It's bondage. And I don't know about you, but it really troubles my heart sometimes 
when I think about, you know, God's really blessed me and God's given me a lot of things in my life and God's shown me grace that I don't deserve and God's given me a lot of provision and he's given me a lot of favor and there's times where I'll be laying there at night and I'll be thinking about the bondage that my brother's in. I'm being transparent with this church right now because you're not the only ones that have lost loved ones. You're not the only ones that have uh, people in your lives that need God. And we're comfortable because we made it out of Egypt. We're comfortable because we were delivered. But I wonder what would happen if we would get the mentality in our hearts, if we would get, get some remembrance, if we would get some memory back and say, you know what, when I came out of Egypt, I didn't come out alone, did I? When I was at my lowest state, when I was beyond saving, when I was beyond recognition, there was somebody who reached out and said, I'm not leaving Egypt without you. I came to get you, and I'm not going back to the Father's house until you come with me. And if we can get the mentality in our hearts that the Father is waiting on us to bring Benjamin back. Bring Benjamin back, or don't come back at all. Bring Benjamin back or don't come back at all. If we approached how we view the lost with that mentality. (laughs) Listen, I know. I know. We've all got obstinate loved ones. I've got them in my family. You could tell them God loves you. You could tell them you need to be in the house of God. You could tell them I'm praying for you. They'll roll their eyes and they'll scoff. And if we're not careful, we'll let it create bitterness in our hearts because we start to convince ourselves that it's the man that opposes us and not the spirit behind the man. But every, every time that relative, every time that loved one, that sibling, that neighbor, that friend, every time they oppose you, every time they speak, every time they roll their eyes, every time they reject it, I wonder what would happen if we got that image in our head of those chains in Egypt. It's not the man speaking against me. It's not the person. It's not the soul. It's those chains rattling. It's those chains making noise in their lives. And we give up and say, you know what? I'm going. I'm leaving. My father will be happy enough that I'm home. And listen, I believe Jacob was happy to see his son. But what would have happened if they showed up without Benjamin? Judah says, it'll kill my father. He said, my father will die if I go home without Benjamin. I can't get, I I, I can't show my face in my father's presence if I've given up on my brother. I can't show my face in his presence if I've given up on that person that he laid heavy on my heart to pray for. How can I walk into my father's house and forget what he's asked me to do? We've forgotten our first estate. We've forgotten our first calling. We've forgotten our first love. You know what's powerful about this story? And this this scares me. It truly does. Is that it wasn't until Judah said, I cannot go back to my father's house without my brother. It wasn't until Judah made it clear, no matter what it costs me, (laughs) I don't care if I have to stay a slave. I don't care if it costs me everything, my time, my energy, my money. Do whatever you have to do, king. I don't care what it costs me, but I've got to take my brother back. And it was when Judah got that mentality that they got a revelation of who the king really was. 
And if we're not careful, we'll walk around thinking we've got revelation. We've got understanding. Oh, yeah, we know who the king is. Let me tell you about him. You've never even met the king yet. Because if you can't love your brother who you have seen, there is no way you can love your God that you have not seen. Joseph tells his brothers, he says, I'm going to keep Benjamin and Judah. He doesn't know the score. He doesn't know it's a test. He doesn't know that Joseph is standing right before him getting ready to reveal himself. But Joseph won't reveal who he really is until his brothers show that they're ready to bring their brother back home. We think we know what God wants to do for us. We think we know how God wants to bless us. We think we know what God's trying to speak to us. But if we've disconnected ourselves and turned ourselves off to the cries of the lost in Egypt, if we turn our hearts off to the shaking of the chains, if we start to pretend, I, I can't hear it, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's their problem, that's not my problem. My, my, my objective is to get home. No, your objective is to get home and take somebody with you. And if you don't take them with you, it breaks the Father's heart. Stand with me. I'm, I'm coming to a close. The music.